0: Welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Uh, I am taping this. It is uh, Sunday, January eighth. It is about six o'clock in the evening, and it has been a while since I've discussed uh, the Creighton Blue Jays on the pod. So I got a little, a, a bunch of Creighton thoughts, and then Husker Hoops fans, I got, I got a little, I got a little something, something at the end. Uh, I want to talk about Derek Walker at the end of the pod, but I, I want to start with with Creighton because uh, Creighton lost to UConn on the road. Uh, on Saturday afternoon, 69 to 60. Uh, and the the interesting roller coaster of a season continues for for the Creighton Blue Jays. Obviously, Creighton starts 6-0. and They then lose six straight. They lost Kalkbrenner in the midst of that losing streak. Kalkbrenner returns. Creighton looks amazing for three games at home. They beat Butler. They beat DePaul. They beat Seton Hall. D- just pretty handedly. I mean, they won by 22 points, 15 points, and 22 points. And... Shot it much better from three. Uh, And I felt like, especially in that Seton Hall game, I thought Kalkbrenner looked like the closest he's looked to being quote-unquote back and having that same really defensive presence. He blocked six shots in that game. He had to have altered 10 to 15 others. So all that was was fantastic. Um, But then Creighton goes to UConn and didn't look very good again. And... Again, people are all trying to, everybody's trying to make sense of this very, very interesting Creighton season. Uh the fact that we are sitting here on January eighth and Creighton is nine and seven, and some bracketologists don't have Creighton in the field. Some of them you know, I think Lenardi has him in that like eight, nine, 10 range. I think Mike DeCorsey had him as the first four out. And you know, nobody, and I mean nobody predicted this. Even if you felt like, yeah, Creighton's a little overrated, I don't think anybody saw nine and seven and on the bubble kind of a situation. And, you know, as I I said at the start of the season, the lens at which you view this team is always so interesting where it's, it's really changed dramatically from one year to the next. Like, Again, just winning isn't enough. It's how you look to and when you lose, people don't just shrug their shoulders and go, well, okay, next game. People are going to slide that loss under the microscope. They're going to slide the team under the microscope and really, you know, do an autopsy almost every single game. And because what's interesting, think about this Creighton had stinkers last year. Oh, they had some stinkers. And people largely just shrugged and moved on because the expectations weren't there. Right. For example, think about this. Colorado State beat Creighton in November last year and hung 95 on the Blue Jays. Creighton got crushed at Villanova by 34 points. Creighton got hammered at Seton Hall last year by 20. Those those were a, a few of the losses where everyone just kind of went, well, I mean, shoot, what do you expect? This team's young. They're relying also on a Division two transfer onto the next game. Not the case this year. My line has been, it's one thing to do something when nobody expects you to do it. It's another thing to do something when everybody expects you to do it. So it's it's not just the losses that are causing concerns for people. It's how the losses look, too. Because the one thing we all need to keep in mind, as we really we, we do what I'm saying, we're doing, we're like sliding Creighton under the microscope, and we're going to look at it. Like the one thing to keep in mind, even with acknowledging the reality of the situation for Creighton in terms of their expectations and the lens at which they're being viewed, Creighton has played a brutally hard schedule. KPI strength of schedule, Creighton they have they have Creighton ranked as the sixth hardest schedule in the country sixth now Jays fans may be upset with how that UConn game unfolded and all those sorts of things but you know keep in mind UConn they're ranked fourth in the country they're a good team they're a really good team just a couple weeks ago they were they were undefeated Texas top 10 team Arizona top 10 team Marquette is 13 and 4 and should be a top 25 team Arizona State is 12 and 3 and talented et etc 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 so Creighton's schedule has been tough. Not making excuses or anything like that. I feel like I can acknowledge that, yeah, this team's it hasn't looked how you, you thought it would look. They got some major flaws. They were deficient in certain areas. I wasn't anticipating them to be deficient. I feel like we can acknowledge all of those things, but also acknowledge they played a really tough schedule. Really tough. Again, not making excuses, just stating the facts. And listen. The other thing, you know, we've been over this, but I just want to say again because I just everywhere I go, I, you know, people talk to me or I, I get, I'll get tweets, I'll get emails. Like, you, know I, I want to say this quick because I've had some people say to me, "Nick, Nick, come on now, Kalkbrenner was only out for three games. How does that explain the other losses?" Okay, well, keep in mind, Ryan Brenner has had mono all year prior to the last four games. So not only did he miss three games completely in street clothes, not in uniform, he was a shell of himself in the nine games he played before sitting out. Another thing to just kind of keep in mind, it's, it's not like Kalkbrenner was 100%, then he missed three games, and now he's back to being 100%. He's, he's been struggling with his health from the start of the season. He missed three games. He couldn't practice. While he was sitting out, and I think now he's just starting to get his flow back, get his legs under him, get him his get his rhythm back. I'd I'd say he's been close to hundred percent. He's been close to hundred percent in maybe two or three games this year, max. That might even be. I'd I'd be interested to hear. us I'd, I'd be interested to ask Culper then. How many games do you feel like you have been one hundred percent when you've taken the floor? I wouldn't. It wouldn't stun me if Brenner would go none. It wouldn't stun me. So just food for thought as you assess, right? Tough as hell schedule. Sixth strength of schedule according to KPI. Sixth toughest. And Kalkbrenner's been hurt for more than just three games, right? But let's get into the UConn game. Because, you know, that game gets 69 to 60. Huskies beat the Blue Jays. That game took on a lot of the same themes from this, from this year and the other losses from this season. That This game also had something that was a little bit unexpected and a handful of other things that stood out to me. So, again, Creighton loses to a good UConn team, top five, top 10 team. I I, I always felt like, you know, something to always think about is the timing at which you catch teams. I felt like Creighton was actually catching UConn at a really bad time. The, UConn's coming off two straight losses. They lost at Xavier and then at Providence. And when you add to the fact that UConn has never beaten Creighton, which is pretty remarkable to say, when you had the fact that UConn has never beaten the Blue Jays, you had a pissed-off UConn team that was foaming at the mouth, ready to go. Now, Creighton did a really good job erasing a deficit in that second half, even got to where I think they took the lead at like either 42-41 or 43-42 at about the 15-14 minute mark uh, of the second half. But after that point, it was all UConn, and it was all Adama Sanogo. Adamasenogo took over and kicked ass, and then UConn and their guards Hassan Diara, uh, you know, Tristan Newton, Andre Jackson, they took their pressure up a level, and Creighton didn't handle it well. Turned it over a handful of times, got out of sorts. Creighton at one point missed seventeen of eighteen shots in the second half, and you know that final. Th- that, that that final thing I just said has been a theme in almost all of Creighton's losses. Poor shooting. In particular, really poor three-point shooting. I'll get into that in a second. Because there's been the other theme of just zero bench production. And not even say, like, it's one thing if you go to your bench and you just survive. Like, okay. Like, if you got there and you just did net, net zero. You got there, just, you, you don't... You don't make mistakes. You don't necessarily make play. just net zero. More often than not right now, Creighton's Creighton's bench, Sharif Sharif Mitchell, Francisco Farabello, Frederick King, Mason Miller, they they are struggling, man, and they are giving Creighton nothing. The, The bench continues to be almost unplayable at times, which is just shocking. Considering uh, going going and watching this team practice in the in October and sitting and watching them get up and down, I was like, God damn, this second five, real really good. I-, I don't know what's happened, but they can't even survive. They can survive a little bit with Fairbello. Everybody else, oh boy, it's touchy. So there was that. And before I get into three point shooting, I also want to say this: I was surprised at how much Sinogo dominated the game. I was there, you know. There was the narrative heading into the game was Kalkbrenner versus Sonogo. That was it, and a lot of this starts from the October preseason prognostications in the Big East Conference of Sonogo being tabbed as the preseason Player of the Year over Kalkbrenner, and I was in the camp that I thought it was a snub. I would have given it to Kalkbrenner. I've talked about this before, Kalkbrenner was undefeated against Sonogo. he was more impactful defensively, obviously being the biggest defensive player of the year, and his numbers were com- comparable. But Sonogo was the preseason player of the year, and I'll tell you, for 40 minutes the other, the other day, Sonogo emphatically won that battle. Emphatically. Frankly, kind of kicked Kalkbrenner's you-know-what and everyone else's you-know-what for Creighton. 26 points, nine rebounds, scored one-on-one in the post for Kalkbrenner. And again, when not only was it 26 points, when his team needed it after Creighton seized momentum, made a huge run, took a one-point lead, Sonogo took over the game for about three, four minutes. Pounded the ball inside, he scored, he got fouled, he made plays. I did think, I thought Creighton needed to... I thought there was almost a little bit of arrogance from the coaching staff on like there's there's a fine line between confidence in your player to guard one on one and just putting him in a really tough spot that they, they were. Now, at the end of the game, if you if you watch Shireman started to kind of bluff in and out on Sunogo, like he was guarding Andre Jackson, he'd kind of be in the paint out of the paint, kind of jabbing at Sunogo as he was peck dribbling and crab dribbling down into Kalkbrenner. But for the majority of the game, it was one-on-one on on an island. And I don't care who you are or how good you are defensively. If you're playing a good offensive post player and he's able to crab-dribble, 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 bang, bang, pivot, pivot, spin, pivot. Like, he's going to score if he's worth a shit. And Adamo Sonogo is worth more than just a shit. He's the shit. He's really good. I thought it was a mistake I don't, you know. Yes, can he handle? Can he handle Kalkbrenner one on one? He being Kalkbrenner? yes. But for forty minutes, one on one, an island, no help, nothing. Eww, I didn't love that. I didn't love that. But it was. With all that being said, I was a little surprised at how much Shinogo was able to have his way. Now, again, maybe is still finding his way back from Mono. you, you got to give credit to Sunogo. I mean, he, Sunogo was the best player on the floor. He was the best player on the floor. But the three-point shooting, the three-point shooting thing continues to be just so interesting. Poor three-point shooting has been a common denominator in a lot of Creighton's losses, and especially in all three true road losses. No neutral site, talking road losses. So talking about Texas, Marquette, and UConn. Against UConn, Creighton was uh, awful, 2 of 16 from 3. And, you know, the question has been there all year. If you go back and listen to my Creighton preview pod, I have have 10 kind of burning questions, and one of them was three-point shooting. How good a shooting team is this? How good a shooters are these guys? Last year, they struggled from three. It's largely the same cast of characters, and they except the, for the fact that they lost their two best three point shooters in Hawkins and Alex O'Connell. How would they be from three? And this year, I, I would say they're streaky. They're a streaky. They're a streaky three point shooting team. And the discrepancy in shooting at home versus on the road is dramatic. Now, two things with that before we give you the numbers. Number one, you usually shoot it better at home. That's just how it is. And then number two, Creighton's three road losses are the three really good NCAA tournament teams in Texas, Marquette, and UConn. Those are potentially three second weekend teams. So again, we got to keep that in mind. But nevertheless, it is jarring how poorly Creighton shot it from three on the road. So at home this year, Creighton is shooting 37% for the season from three. At home, which 37% as a team, that's pretty good. The last three games, Butler, DePaul, and Seton Hall prior to this UConn game, Creighton was 35 of 72, a scorching 48% from three as a team. Then they go on the road, two of sixteen against UConn. And to expand that, three true road games for Creighton this year at Texas, at Marquette, at UConn. Creighton, that you might want to pull over if you're if you're driving right now. Creighton is ten of sixty three from three, an embarrassingly bad fifteen percent from three. Ten of sixty-three. That significant of a discrepancy is crazy. To go from shooting thirty-seven percent at home to shooting forty-eight percent the three previous games leading up to this, you know, this game or when you comp- when you compare it to the three road games, it's amazing. So, it, it, you know, what's tough is like they're clearly uh, Creighton is clearly capable of of shooting it well. They clearly, collectively, can make a lot of threes. But right now, outside of Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander, nobody's really shooting it well. And I'm not sure anybody's really uh, someone that I would consider to be a great shooter. Like, Francisco Farabello is in a crazy shooting slump. And then Arthur Kaluma and Ryan Nemhart are just, they're just pretty average You could even say below average shooter. Like, they're low 30% guys. And this is over like a pretty good sample size. And, you know, it's interesting. Greg McDermott, and even I've said this, I I think I've said it on the air in a couple of games I've been on the call for FS1, the Butler game, the Seton Hall game. I've talked about this. But Greg McDermott has has had this theme and saying, like, listen, it's it's a make shot, miss shot game. Meaning we can we can analyze and dissect a whole bunch of things with the game, with the team, with all this stuff, but a lot of this comes down to, to open shot. Did, it, did the ball go in? Did it not? And when he talks about that, he's not wrong because lots of the same shots, you go run the tape, lots of the same shots, In the Marquette game, in the Texas game, in the UConn game, all three losses that Creighton missed, they made against Arkansas, against Texas Tech, against Seton Hall, against DePaul, against Butler, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Same shots, same looks, same players. Some games they've gone down, some games they haven't. So it's tough. And, you know, it was interesting. So Joel Lorenzi, Omaha World Herald, uh, Jay's beat writer, you know, he had an exchange with, with Greg McDermott that, that he posted online, uh, in the post-game press conference where, you know, he was asking Greg McDermott about this make shot, miss shot motto. Um, and you know, Greg McDermott kind of doubled down on it, you know? So Joel asked McDermott, I'm just reading the transcript here. uh, Lorenzi asked the question, uh, it feels like with as many games in as we are into the season, you've had quite a few games where you sit here and you're saying it's a miss, it's a make-shot, miss-shot game. McDermott interrupted and said, I'm going to continue to say that. Joel Lorenzi said, sure, but is there a point where you've reached your limit on that front? Greg McDermott said, nope, nope. Goal of basketball is to make them take the worst shots you can and for your team to get as good of shots as you can. That's his quote. So, it's tough. Again, Greg McDermott's not wrong. I think the cynical reaction to that is saying, okay, that may be true, but do you, are you seeing things how you want to see him to think that a good shot is an open three for some of these guys? Right? Like, I don't know. I mean, again, my rebuttal would be like, well, shot, shot the shit out of it against Seton Hall, DePaul, Butler, Arkansas, Texas Tech, like, and, and again, you can kind of go tit for tat, and no one's necessarily right or wrong here. And what's hard is I'm not really sure what the answer is. Like I don't know what people want from Greg. McDerm- like you want you want to tell Ryan Emhard to not shoot an open three. You, you're going to tell Francisco Farabello to turn down a kickout corner three. He's open, feet set. Arthur Kaluma, no more three. Like he's done. You're done. No more threes for Kaluma. Of course not. So sometimes I think we we kick and scream at things, but we, but when you have to get into the solutions business, what's your answer? Ah, uh, Creighton can't shoot, man. Just stop. So just no nobody, so the only people that can shoot threes are Shireman and Trey Alexander. That is that what we're saying? Like what are we saying, really? Nobody should shoot a three unless it's like one second of the shot clock and they have to. I mean, really? You is that is that that's the answer? Because I don't know about that. Because I don't necessarily see a team that's settling for a bunch of threes. It'd be one thing like, like the one game I felt like, you know, there's certain games. Now again, a lot of them are open, so it's hard as I even say this. Like when they took 40 threes against Nebraska, it's like maybe turn down one and get into the lane, right? 40s a ton. Only took 16. It's not. It's not a ton. I don't think they're necessarily settling for threes or hunting bad threes. Now, I'm never a fan of when you know when Arthur Arthur starts trying to be like Damian Lillard and shoot it off the bat, or or you know Nemhard does the same thing. Like I'm I'm not a huge fan of that, but when it's in the flow and it's you know penetration kick extra one, yeah, Nemhard step into that thing and shoot it. So again, Greg McDermott's not wrong. But I think it's 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 certainly something that's interesting to look at from a number standpoint. It's like, man, some of these games, they're not just poor from 3, they're woefully bad from 3. But but here, see, this is the thing that that I, this is what I'm taking away from all this. The th- here's the thing about all this. You want to know one of the biggest differences between a good team and a great team? Good teams can only win when they play well and shoot it well. Great teams can still win when they don't shoot it well. Let me say it again. One of the biggest differences between good teams and great teams. Good teams can only win when they play well and shoot it well. Great teams can find a way to win even when they're not shooting it well and they're not even playing that well. Great teams find a way. Great teams find a way even when they don't have their A game, when they're playing that well. And by oftentimes when, when by don't play well, that usually means they aren't shooting it well. And to me, that is what Creighton is missing right now, in my opinion. I think a lot of people, and I understand it, are getting really caught up and just focusing on the number from th- the numbers from three. But again, I, when 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 we get past pointing out the numbers and get into the solutions business, what's the solution to not take any more threes? Because that's not a very good solution. And again, they're capable of it, of it being making them. So for me, I think people are getting caught up in that, and I look at it and going, okay, you, you e- even when you go two of sixteen from three, even when you go four for twenty seven from three even when you are struggling from beyond the arc and you can't throw it in the ocean, can you still find a way to win? And to me, that's what Creighton's missing right now. Nebraska game, shot it bad, lost. At Marquette, shot it bad, lost. At Texas, shot it bad, lost. At UConn, shot it bad, lost. There is an intangible quality that really good teams have. And it can be hard to capture and hard to create. But it is that simple quality of finding a way to win. Close games, games where you don't play well, games where you don't shoot it well, can you still find a way to win? Bruce Rasmussen, Former Creighton athletic director, one of my favorite guys on earth. You know, I've talked I've talked so much basketball with that guy. It's amazing, and and he he always kind of has this school of thought and this saying that it's more than a saying; it's more just kind of like a, a, a mantra, school of thought that he he always talks about how. Okay, so think about a basketball season. Let's say it's a thirty game season. Okay, you're you're probably going to have ten games where you play great. You just you're rolling. Guys are connected. You're shooting it great. Everything's clicking. You're probably going to have 10 games where it's it's like that. Then you're probably going to have 10 games where you just play average. You're just okay. You shot it okay. Everything's just okay. You're not bad, but you're not rolling and playing great. And sometimes you're going to have about 10 games where you just don't play well. You just don't have it. You're missing shots. You're out of sync. You're in foul trouble, top dogs, not not rolling, et cetera, et cetera. And Bruce Rasmussen's contention is your season is largely defined in how you perform in those last two categories. The You played okay, and he didn't play well. So using the 30-game you know, season is just as a nice round number. 10 games, you play great. Let's say you're going to go probably 10-0 in those games, right? If you're worth a shit and you go up there and you're rolling, you're probably going to win. Go 10-0 in those games. Well, then there's 20 games where you just either play okay or you don't play very well. You're, you're, you're kind of bad. How do those games unfold? What's the final score of those games? Do you find a way to win? And that is where I think Creighton is struggling right now. They are having a hard time overcoming poor shooting days right now. They've hung in there. I'll give them that. They have hung in there. I will give them that. Bad teams. So here's how you know you're a bad team. When they don't shoot it well, they don't play well, they usually get blasted. Crane's not getting blasted. And Crane's playing good teams. It's not like they're, you know, they're going four for twenty-seven from three against roast beef state and losing by eighteen. You know, they're going four for 27 from three on the road at Texas. Place is going crazy. And they have a chance to win it late. I mean, Creighton had chances against Nebraska at Texas, even at UConn, despite shooting it and not playing great, not shooting it well and not playing great. So that's a positive. They're hanging in there. But they got to find a way to get over that hump. And win some of those games. Because you don't. You don't want to be a team that is just a, you know, it's a coin flip coin flip team, I call them, where it's like, hey, you know, if they're making shots, all right, here we go, game on, bring it on. Missing shots, well, probably not our night, probably taking an L tonight. Can't be that team. I thought some of Greg McDermott's early teams, like Doug McDermott's sophomore year, junior, like though they were very much in that latter category, where it was where it was like if they were hot from three and they could kind of get the game had to be up tempo and they had to shoot it well from three, and if they did that, they could beat anybody. But if they didn't do those things, yeah, look out, probably not going to go well. And again, the thing that the thing that I admired about last year's team was they were excellent at finding a way to win. They were good in close games. We've been over those numbers. And they won games despite not shooting it well from three really all year. They won games with their defense. They won games with their grit and their fight and their togetherness. Even, even Creighton's Sweet 16 team a couple of years ago, with Zagorowski and and Balock and and Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney and Christian Bishop, like that, that team got to be pretty good at winning grinders and winning when they didn't light it up from three and winning even when they they didn't play that well. Creighton's got to find that because I'm going to tell you right now, this team's talented. This team doesn't have the firepower of Doug's teams from three. This team's talented. But this team doesn't have the firepower of that 2020 Big East Championship team. Zegarowski, Ballock, Tyshawn, that's a that's a big-time shooting trio of guards. Those three guards could all hit five or six threes in a game. This team doesn't have that. And this team right now, for, for whatever reason, also just isn't quite as good in transition as some of these other Creighton teams we've talked about in the past. There's not. I don't know what it is. There's not. It's weird. They, on paper, you're like, man, Kaluma, Alexander, Shireman, Nemhard. Man, Alexander can bring it. Nemhard can bring it. Shireman can bring it. Calkbrenner can run for a big guy. Kaluma in the open floor. Fucking forget about it. like. But in the in transition, it's like so it's not quite good. Remember Balock, Alexander, Zegarowski, Christian Bishop. Like remember them in the open floor. Get your popcorn ready. It was showtime when they got out in the open. Remember Maurice Watson, Kyrie Thomas, Marcus. Fe- like it was showtime. This team did eh, okay from in, in transition. So when Creighton isn't making threes and they're they're not getting a ton of transition baskets, they're kind of getting bogged down at times and struggling to score for stretches in the half court. I think I think what a lot of this comes down to is this is where Ryan Kalkbrenner being sick and missing games and working his way back is at the heart of, of all of this. Because when he's not right, or he's not on the floor, or he's not fully himself, Creighton's defense erodes pretty good, and Creighton overall erodes pretty good. This is an obvious statement, but the more healthy and the more full-strength Kalkbrenner Gets the more equipped, I believe Creighton will be to win games where they aren't making shots, because Kalkbrenner is just so dominant in the paint defensively and even offensively. That is where Sonogo dominating the game against Kalkbrenner was just a killer. Really, they they could have they could have messed around and won that game if Sonogo wouldn't have just gone Kevin McHale on that ass. So, you know, again, Cole Krenner usually always emphatically wins those battles, and that's what allowed for Creighton to win a lot of games last year when they weren't necessarily lighting it up from beyond the arc. Now, here's you know what's odd? And, and there's sample size with some of this stuff, and some of these, these numbers have to do with a little bit of last year uh, to a certain extent. But Creighton's Ken Palm defensive rating, it, what's weird is it's almost the exact same right now as it was at the end of last year. So last year, Creighton finished the year 19th in Kempom's defensive efficiency ranking. Right now, they're sitting at 24th. But does it, But last year's defense felt way better right now to me. So it's just odd. So the, the weird roller coaster year continues for, for Creighton. Bench continues to struggle. Holy crap. Another game of woeful three point shooting. Still don't know what to make of this team's three-point shooting ability. I'd I I'd just I'd call him streaky. Kalkbrenner is headed in the right direction, but he's got to continue to progress because, let's be honest, they need Kalkbrenner to play at an all-American caliber player. He's the barometer for this group. Like he When, when he's good, Creighton's good. When he struggles, Creighton struggles. And this team just has to capture that find-a-way-to-win quality. Creighton has lost close games this year. And Creighton has lost games where they haven't shot it or played well. That those are the the symptoms. If you go WebMD on what is Does my team have the find a way to win quality? Search. Like, do they win when they don't shoot it well? Well, nope, nope, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> do they win close games? Nope. Nope. That's not good. Like the that's the, those are the signs, man, of a team that just, you know, they don't have that right now, that find a way to win. Great teams, true top 10 teams, true second weekend teams, final four caliber teams, they find a way to win. I still think this team can find that quality, can capture that. I still like this roster, and I still believe in this coaching staff and believe in Greg McDermott, but they got some work to do. There's no doubt about that. And I'll continue to say, I still worry about this team's leadership. Now, when you say that, sometimes you may think, ooh, are these guys selfish and bad dudes? Not at all. They're all great guys, great dudes. So don't take it that way. I just worry about this team's leadership department. And I think within that, and this maybe has to do with a little bit of that find a way to win quality that I'm talking about. I worry if this team just has that dog in them. Like, excuse the language here, but, like, that fuck you, we ain't losing this, refuse to lose, refuse to lay down. Like, does this team have that? Marcus Zagorowski had that. Marcus Zagorowski took the floor angry and pissed off that you even had the audacity to step on the floor against him. Damian Jefferson got to be that way. Go watch early in the game in that 2020 Seton Hall game at home to win the Big East regular season title. He steals a a, a pass from Mamukalisvili and then goes down and dunks it on him. Like DJ got to where he would wa- he had that "fuck you" in him. I thought Hawkins last year, in his own way, had that. Doug McDermott had that, Grant Gibbs had that, Ryan Sears had that, had that like you were going to have to literally decapitate Ryan Sears on the floor if you were going to beat him. Creighton Creighton needs a little more of that in them they showed flashes of it i thought i it's one of the most exciting moments i had watching this team was watching that when nemhard had the dunk against arkansas in maui there seemed to be a little bit of that fuck you no way you think you're beating us come on but since that point it's kind of Poof. that that dog that uh, just that you you guys know what I'm talking about. Just hasn't really been there. They got to find some more of that in them. So there you go. Doesn't get any easier this week. By the way, Creighton's at Xavier on Wednesday. By the way, I I actually think Xavier's the best team in the Big East right now. I was asked that question with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning on on Coffee and Cream and their their morning show, and I I pick Xavier right now. Like I think at this moment in in. Right now, snapshotting, freezing this moment in time. I think Creighton's the best team in the league. They're really good, man. And then Creighton's got Providence at home on Saturday. And Ed Cooley has that team rolling. The Friars have won nine in a row. So the tough road continues, man. Again, I still I refuse to give up on this team. I refuse to do it. I still think it's in them. I think they're going to put it together. There's nine weeks. So again, I'm taping this. It's Sunday, January 8th. There's nine weeks to selection Sunday. Nine weeks from today, I'll be holding a bracket. Now, as I say that, like glass half full, you kind of think, oh, that's plenty of time to get it rolling. Nine weeks, plenty of time. Glass half empty is, holy shit, nine weeks. Creighton's up against it. They're running out of time. They got to get it going. I tend to be a little bit more optimistic. But there definitely needs to be some urgency to get this thing rolling. Again, hard to believe that, that some people like it, it. Imagine in October saying that Creighton's going to be nine and seven in and a bubble team in, in, on January 8th. You'd have been like, well, you're crazy. So, again, I refuse to give up on this team. Refuse to do it. Like the roster too much, like the coaches too much. We'll see if they prove me right. And a lot of other people write too. All right, let me shift to uh, to to Derek Walker for a second here. Um, so Dirk, Dirk Chatland kind of stole my exact thought as I was flipping back and forth uh, between Creighton's Creighton's game and then Nebraska's game against Minnesota. So Dirk tweeted this: He goes, uh, "Dirk Chatlin tweeted over the years, Nebraska has received a lot of criticism for a lack of player development, justifiably." But Derek Walker's improvement the past two years is beyond impressive. Barely looks like the same guy. His craft is comparable to any post player you'll see in college basketball, and that was I, that was my main takeaway. Is I'm watching Derek Walker just control the whole game against Minnesota. Walker had 22 points, eight rebounds, seven assists against the Gophers, and was just awesome. I thought, like, man, it is hard to believe. That this is the same Derek Walker that I've watched for a couple of years prior to this. He's been, um, I think that was his eleventh game playing this year. He's been amazing this year, and I was really thinking about it on that player development tip that Dirk was getting was talking about there. Like in the past twenty years, I can't really think of a player that has improved more at Nebraska than Derek Walker has. From like when they arrived, two, three, four years later, like what they were, I'm, I'm hard pressed. Maybe there's somebody I'm forgetting, but he's definitely Derek Walker's on the short list for most improved Nebraska basketball player I've seen in 20 years. Because I'll be, can I keep it real with you guys for a second? I used to always internally roll my eyes a little bit when I'd hear that Derek Walker was the answer when he was redshirting. It's like okay, and he, even when he was was out at the start of of this year. Like I would hear, like, hey, once once Walker's back, Nebraska's going to take a huge leap. I was like, okay, all right, right. Like, e- even when uh, you know, last year Hoiberg would talk to me at shootarounds and and you know about different offensive tweaks and being like, got to play through Derek Walker more. I'd kind of be like, okay, good luck with that. I, I'll just be, I'll be honest with you, I'd say in my internal, you know, my internal voice in your head, those were those were the things I was saying. i was like, oh yeah, you're going to play through Derek Walker. Okay, that ought to go well. Derek Walker is the answer. Okay. I thought Walker was one of those guys. I thought he was good. But this idea that he was like a legitimate, big-time difference maker, I just never saw that. I thought he was good. But I never saw legitimate difference maker. And listen... Maybe that's because he's in the best big man league in the country, and over the last three years, Derek Walker has had to go against and deal with the likes of Luca Garza, Hunter Dickinson, Travion Williams, Zach Eadys, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, Kofi Coburn, EJ Liddell, Keegan Murray, on and on. I could keep going. You get the point. So it's one of those things like when he's pitted against those guys, more often than not, you felt like the opposing team had the advantage inside. So that was where my brain was always at. I hear all this stuff about Walker, and I'm like, well, then why nine out of every 10 Big Ten game, I think the other team's got the better big man? You, you know what I mean? Like, So maybe that clouded my vision in the lens at which I viewed him. I used to always say, and this is almost embarrassing to say it, Like, I used to think I was like, you know, Walker would be like the perfect backup big man to one of those guys I just named. Like, spelling... Garza or, or you know Travion Williams come in 15 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. Like that's more what Walker is. I thought he was more of a Robin to a superstar center Batman than he was a real Batman. But man, get, I will take a crow medium well with a side of crow because Derek Walker has blown me away with how good he's been this year and how much he has improved. He's a legit player. He's a legit difference maker, and he is a legit problem for people. Like I said a bit ago, 20 years, last 20 years, I can't think of a player that's improved more than him in his three years at Nebraska. He was a solid, just a solid big man. He went from, he was five points per game two years ago to nine points per game last year, and now he's averaging 14 points per game. He's always efficient from the floor. But he's got a really unique skill set at that high post, mid post kind of area where he's driving at people. And I will say this, you got to give Fred Hoiberg credit with, with when talking about this. You know, you, you, when we talk, when coaches talk and you talk about coaches, you talk about figuring out where and how your player can have success. Where is my player at his best? Okay, well, let's devise ways to get him the ball in those spots and let him go. Fred Hoiberg has been a 10 out of 10 in how he's using Derek Walker. So Fred Hoiberg is a big part of this. You 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 watch college basketball over the course of of the last there this the last couple of months like there aren't too many teams that use a five man driver at that elbow free throw line mid post spot, but Fred Hoiberg devises different ways to unlock him and those spots to get movement to clear the area clear the lane and now it is Monoimo mano-a-mano Derek Walker with a slow footed five man and Walker goes to work and that's where he can flourish. Because here's the thing: if you treat Walker, if you treat him like he's Zach Eady or Hunter Dickinson, you know, where the, like and make him wrestle on the block for legit post ups and with his back to the basket and bang into a guy and shoot jump hooks, like that's not who he. That's not Derek Walker. That's not who he is. He is capable of doing it. Doing that at times. But where he is really special and really tough to deal with is when he has the ball and he faces up and he's about 14, 15, 16 feet from the basket and he can put the ball on the deck, one, two, three dribbles, pivot, spin, pass, score, play make. That's where he's special. And so it is just, it is amazing to watch him now. So you got to... Again, I always thought he was just okay. Solid player, not a great player. I feel like he was, I'd say he's a slightly above starting, above average starting big man. That's how I saw him. But man, is he proving me dead wrong. Last ten or eleven games, he's proven he is more than that. So kudos to Walker for putting in the work and continuing to prove. But this is also a testament to you. You sometimes everybody for as good as we all think we are, we being players, like we need help. We need coaches to put us in the right position to do our thing to flourish. And Fred Hoiberg, I don't think there's any coach that has a better understanding of where his best player can go to work than Fred Hoiberg does with Derek Walker. So kudos to Hoiberg for coaching to your player's strengths as well. Impressive. A Herd at Sports Network production.